With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Empire. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, former Redskins defensive back Will Blackman joins me to discuss the Redskins culture, Josh Norman running with the Bulls, and his thoughts on Jay Gruden as a coach. Also, my longtime colleague Rick Snyder is here to discuss the latest in the Redskins stadium plans. Plus, he's going to take a look back in the 20-year anniversary of owner Dan Snyder. Rick Snyder was heavily involved in the coverage of that sale way back when. He has some really good insights for you. But first, my conversation with Will Blackman. And now I'm joined by one of the guys that I would consider one of the smarter players I've ever covered, Will Blackman. And I only was around, Will, you for two years, I think it was. But in that time, I just always enjoyed talking to you, always felt I learned about football, about a variety of things. So I appreciate you joining me. You learned about football from me? I did learn some football from you. And, and, <laughs> and listen, you, why do you laugh at that? No, I'm just saying. It's all good. And I'll, I'll give you an example because, and I think you provide really good insight. For example, you would talk about Richard Sherman and what those guys do in, in the Legion of Boom or what they used to do to become really good players. Earl Thomas and the way they studied film. And so that gives me an idea of this. Is, if you want to be at this level, you have this sort of talent, but this is the stuff you do to separate yourself. And the way I think you're, you're, I think what you told me was that when Richard Sherman would be sitting in a car, he's studying film. When he's walking to the car, he's looking at his iPad, studying film. That's he was always on his iPad watching film. That is the truth. No, I'm, I'm glad I could. You know, I, that's kind of the approach I take, um, especially now on the media side, is I try to educate, educate the consumer. You know, sometimes it's beyond you know, the numbers and the analytics, you know, I want to give you like real inside detail. So yes, I can say that, that, that is what I did to help you out. Well, it is. And because listen, I think the X's and O's stuff is, is important. It's is, it is very important, but I know that having been in those locker rooms and you having been with a number of really good organizations, there are so many more details to the game than just what kind of scheme was it. I want to know like, why did this guy, why does this guy consistently make these plays or why does he do well to do this? And it usually goes back to what are they doing away from the film room away on their own to succeed. The other thing that I liked talking to you about was you had a wife who actually helped you study film. (laughs) Yeah, Shauna, she did. She she was very insightful, and she kind of is uh, the queen of common sense. So it's like sometimes we try to overanalyze stuff, and I would too. I would overanalyze a lot of things, and she just call it, see it, call it how she sees it. It's black and white. It's black and white, you know? What kind of things would she point out that helped you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was, it was just more – I don't know. Nothing in particular where maybe I missed it, but it was more, it was more so of a collaboration gotcha. effort. 
What would she have said if you had said, honey, I'm going to go run with the Bulls this offseason? She would go with me. Okay. So when you see Josh Norman doing that, what are you thinking? I'm like, live your life, Josh. <laughs> so I always say there's, there's, there's guys that are that are $1,000 cautious and that there are, there are other guys that are million-dollar crazy, and Josh is million-dollar crazy. <laughs> um, no, one thing my wife did, did, she would criticize me, but she was like, you gotta look, you got to look for the ball. That's her biggest pet peeve. And she's not like, she's not the crazy, like, you know, right. wife who's all over me on how I play. Like, not if she's by far like that. She likes to sit back and enjoy, watch the game and have fun. Um, but, and, but she's like, hey, you got to look back for the ball. Look back. That's her pet peeve watching anybody play is when defensive backs don't look back for the ball. You had a decision to make. I, I guess maybe I'll say, use that word. When your career, when your, you know, career was over, I guess. And you went to the NFL Network, and I know that I talked to you in the past about maybe a different route for yourself. Did you think about going into either a front office type role or trying to go that route versus a TV? And how did that play out? I mean, obviously you're with the NFL Network, so you're there. But what was the decision making process there? And did you consider going a football route in the front office route? Yeah, so that's interesting. I I never really went out there and officially said, "Hey guys, I'm done playing. I retired." It was just kind of, it just kind of fell out like that, you know. Mm-hmm. When I when I got released from the from the Redskins in, in '17, that was kind of like it was kind of shocking and, and and really shocking for me. I thought, okay, this is year two of me playing safety. Now I can figure it out. Now we got Coach Torian Gray, who is I learned so much from him in like two months. I don't know how to play safety. Like I was like, I was so ready to go. I thought it was going to be me and Swearinger. You know, I was excited. Right. And so when I got released, I I knew for sure, like, hey, I'm going to get picked up this year. I knew because I was nowhere nowhere close to being finished. You know, so right. that year went by, nothing happened. I did some appearances on NFL Network. Then the next year came by, I got more workouts. I worked out with the Colts, worked out with the Browns. And so I'm waiting to hear back from everybody. And so nothing went on. So as I'm waiting, I'm getting calls from up north in Canada, and I right. did not want to go up there at all. But I'm like, you know what? If I got to go up there to put my ego aside and get some film, because I didn't play the year before, to get back into the NFL, mm-hmm. then, then that's what I'll do. So I went up there, played some ball, played the first game, made a play, caused a fumble. Surprise, surprise. That's what I do. <laughs> um, <laughs> and... It just didn't work out just because I, I felt like there were – up there is interesting. It's like it's like paid college football. I feel like a right. lot of guys go to Canada because they have to. Mm-hmm. And plus, some of the coaches I dealt with up there, there was a lot of egos up there, man. And I'm like, listen, if I'm going to deal with egos and BS and people being political, I'm going to deal with that in the NFL. I'm not going to deal with that in Canada. So that kind of shot my, my, my love a little bit, but I never – it wasn't like, oh, I'm done playing because physically. It was, no, I, I just haven't played because no one called. So just okay. by nature, other opportunities opened up. NFL Network called. They offered a deal. So I was like, sure, man, like, I'd love to do that. So that's kind of that's kind of how it fell into me doing TV. So I'm not there right now. Okay. My deal finished up with the network. I have another deal pending with another be announcing soon, but – you also have you also you're on Rick Buecher's podcast as well, correct? Me, me and Buecher have our own subsidiary called uh, Buecher and Blackman, and he has one with Buecher and Hollins, Ryan Hollins on ESPN. 
So, yeah, I do that with him. Uh, but it's cool. Yeah, so the front office thing, that's something that I will always be interested in. Um, I, I know, like, someone like John Lynch, he went to TV, and then right. TV went to the front office. Mech Mayock went to TV, TV to the front office. So I can see, like, later down the line, maybe that's the opportunity. I, I love I love evaluating. I feel like I understand football players and people um, to, to, to build a team and help someone build a team. So uh, I definitely would – take high interest in uh, going in the front office. And I made a couple calls around. There were some opportunities to go in there and, and learn and what have you. I'm, I'm really, I live close to the Chargers, so, you know, I wouldn't mind talking to them. But. <laughs> you played for, or you were part of six different organizations, including the Redskins. What do you see as a difference between what makes one a good organization versus one that struggles? Um, I, I preach this all the time with organizations I've been on. So, you know, I've been on, like you said, like the Packers, the Giants, like, yeah, they have done well. And it always starts from upstairs. You know, it's like, it's funny. The NFL, the foundation is upstairs. Um, and it starts with, you know, ownership and it starts with the president. Then it goes down to the front office and then management and then coaches and then all the way down to the players, you know, and, it's like you get everybody in, in the entire building on the same page, and that's where good things happen. Um, I talked to uh, Chris Ballard, the GM over on mm -hmm. the Colts, and he said that he said in order for us to be successful, it starts. And I'm paraphrasing here. It starts with me. You know, they had to show him and Frank Wright came together, and they said, "Hey, we have to show this organization that." This is the type of toughness. This is the type of the work we have to show. And if I don't show that type of leadership and structure and discipline, then how, then how are they going to be able to learn and do the same thing if I'm not if I'm not leading by example? Do so it always starts upstairs. And if if you have issues going on upstairs, then it's really really hard to get through unless unless you have a team full of veterans that right. understand it and they can police themselves and get through all that. But if there's disarray upstairs and there's no consistency and every year you're trying to figure out, you know, we should be do we should be better. We should be better. We should be better. Well, you know, then they got to look at themselves. Do you think the Redskins have that kind of structure that can succeed? I think here, here's the, here's the thing with that. I just, I feel like in the, in the Redskins, I don't know if everyone in the building is on the same page Okay. in terms of how to get it done. I believe, I believe Dan, I believe Dan Snyder, I believe Bruce, I believe Jay, I believe all of them, everybody wants to win. Right. Right. So I'm sure like everyone's on the same page on, Hey, we want to win. We want to get championships. We want to do this, but I don't know if everyone is on the same page on how to get that done. So that's kind of like, that's kind of like my observation. Because you, you play for, you know, like I said, the Giants. You play for. You were there with Seattle for a little while with Pete Carroll. Is it more about? Is it a philosophy in terms of looking what kind of players? Is it a matter of how do you go about acquiring these players? What is it that, in terms of that, um, not being on the same page that that maybe hurts here? It's, de it's definitely a philosophy because yeah, when I was in Seattle just for those training camps, you everyone understood how it how it's going to be done around here. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's very player-friendly. Everything was about the players. Best facility was for the players. Best food is for the players. We're going to get nutritionists. We're going to get performance coaches. We're going to get strength coaches, mental performance coaches. We're going to tell the equipment manager, no budget. Go go to Nike, which is two hours away, and get whatever you need. 
make sure these guys are happy. Make sure, you know, we have a guy to make sure we're monitoring practice, keeping these guys healthy. And it's going to be an open environment. You can bring your kids whenever you want. They can run around the hallways, music at practice during training camp, bring celebrities around all the time, you know, um, getting guys to truly believe in themselves. He, he treated, when I was there, you know, John and John Snyder and Pete Cowher treated right. the janitor just as well as they treated, you know, uh, Paul Allen, you know, mm-hmm. rest his soul. Um, it, it was just a very, very o- open and positive environment, and you, and you got that there. Same thing, it was a very family environment when I was in Green Bay. It was a very family and open environment um, when I was on the Giants, you know, when we went to the Super Bowl that year. So, And you see it, too. When you look at the Patriots, it's like, man, they get it from the top down. Right starting with Mr. Kraft. It's like they, they understand what they are supposed to do from the first guy to the last guy. Can, can it's, just a, like, and it's just a matter of, hey, everyone, you know, just do your job, and this is how we are going to do it. We have the formula, so don't mess the formula up. Can, can Jay Gruden, can they win with Jay, do you think? I think they can win with Jay. I, I personally, as, as a player, I like Jay as a coach. Why is that? Um I like Jay because he, he, and people may look at it as a double-edged sword, but he, he let players be themselves. Mm-hmm. He kind of was like, hey, we're all adults, you know, let's be disciplined, let's, let's do the right thing. You know, if there's an issue, you guys figure it out. Like, let's, let's just come together and play football. You know, he's not really, he, does, he tries not to be, like, on your ass all the time. And he doesn't want to have to yell all the time and do all this. He's like, hey, you guys are professional football players. Like, let's get this done. Right. And that, but that helps. That helps when you have a team like we had in 2015, right. where we had a lot of veterans there. Where, where we, you know, we can police ourselves. If there's an issue, we can hold each other accountable. We can have all these captain meetings and all these leadership meetings to get everybody in the right place. Page, you know. Now, when you get guys who are younger who have been in the league, and Jay's going to have to police everybody and have to. Like he's he's not big on confrontation. He's, he's not, he doesn't want to have to do that, right? You know, so I think they can win with Jay, but as long as they have, and I feel like they, what they done in the off season, they did get a lot of guys who have leadership type of pressures where they're going to hold each other accountable. You know, so like a Landon Collins, like, like a yeah, like a Landon Collins, for example. You know, AP's coming back and. Um, you know, you got Case Keenum coming in, who don't know if he's going to start or not, but he's a good he's a good presence to have in there, energy wise. You know, I think he's going to pay dividends just just emotionally. Have you, how much have you studied or watched Landon Collins, and what do you think of his game? Uh, I like I, I mean I watch Landon a lot. You know, just by being in the NFC East, you know, you watch you always watch to see what the other safety does uh, and how to. You know, actually, it's funny. I got, I got a couple of picks by watching other guys what they did. <laughs> when we played the Bears, I watched the games before when they played Green Bay, and Ha Ha Clinton Dix got a pick by in cover two, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna do what he did. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, but I I just love the fact that you're not gonna get a lot of home runs from the running back because he's a good tackler. That's 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 one of the most important things. Is that hey, can we if they get through the front seven, who's gonna bring that guy down? And there was, a, you know, you can go back to the Giants game last year where Saquon had so many explosive runs because of the lack of effort in the secondary trying to get the guy down. 
you know, and I feel like, hey, let's get a guy who's going to sure that up and that's going to stop the run. Because at the end of the day, if you just stop the run, okay, now you're throwing it to Josh Norman. Now you're throwing it to Rogers Cromartie. Now you're throwing it to Landon Collins. Now you're throwing it to, you know, whoever's going to be on the outside, right. whether it's Strom or Dunbar, whoever it is. Going back to Josh, you know, he's been, I don't know He's gotten some criticism because the contract and his play has been good. And people always wonder, has he played to the contract? What has been your assessment? You were a teammate of his, and now you've been able to watch him a little bit. What's been your assessment of his play? And can you know what do you think of him? Can he still get it done here? Um, I think so. I would say this. So in 2015, he was on a really, really good defense. Mm-hmm. He capitalized his his contract year. He made the plays and got it done. Got paid. He came here to the Redskins, and he and he played pretty well. I think he had like three picks. Um, and then the second year, you know, I know he dealt with some injuries, but also now these teams have film on this guy. Right. They have film on Josh, so they found things like, okay, here's what we can do to take advantage of of certain things that Josh does. So therefore, you know, that year he had no picks and uh, you know didn't do much. So he came back the next year. Um, and yeah, once again, made made more plays, got more picks. I just feel like with Josh, he just has to go, uh, be, you know, beyond the X's and O's, right? Or just more more consistent on that. Where because I think his style of play is so he's so aggressive and he's so so physical. I think sometimes teams will take advantage of that. I think he can work. He doesn't have to work as hard the more he understands what defenses are trying to do to him. Mm-hmm. Now, because he already, he already understands what the, what, the, let me see, what the offense is trying to do to him. He already understands, you know, just from him playing, he understands what offenses are trying to do to the defense, but he just has to understand what offenses are trying to do to him. How you know, do you and, do that? Oh, well, he has to go back and look at all his minuses. Okay. You know, look at all the plays that he, he didn't, uh, he didn't do well at. Look at all, and that's very, very hard to do. You know, I, I, Last thing you want to do is sit there and look at all the bad stuff you've done. But he has to go. He has to take the time, go on his iPad, and just look at all his negatives, you know, and and find a way uh, to to fix that. And that's the only way. That's the only way you get better, you know. And, and we'll see. We'll see what what that does um, with his new coach. Uh, I believe that I believe that he will uh, find a way to. To communicate with Jay, no, that's Ray Horton. Right. Um, to, to go ahead and do that, you know. He seems to be more upbeat about Ray than I think he was with Torian, just reading that situation. So I. I, um, I, that, I, I can see that. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ray's been around forever. Yeah. The hardest thing, John, is like, you know, you're a new guy coming in. And right. You're trying to earn everybody's trust. And I think the, the words, you, it's hard, you can't use, like, hey, we, we did this coverage in college. Right, <laughs> right. So you say that they're like, "Oh, come on, man!" So I'm like, "Shoot, it worked." But <laughs> that's, that that's 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 true. And it, but the like, two more topics here. One is one is going to be up your. It's a different topic altogether. I look forward to talk, asking about this one. With this, the, before I get to that one, one question here. A lot of talk about 18 games. Do you think that has any chance to become reality? And what do you feel would be the if you're looking at the CBA for the next CBA? What would be the most important thing to you as a as a guy, you know, as a player? More money, more is more guarantees. At the end of the day, just more mm-hmm. guarantees. You know, pay 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 these guys. This should this should not be one 
NFL player who is not making a million dollars. There should not be minimum million dollars. This should this shouldn't be like it's it's too it's too brutal on you. It's like hey, yeah. I get to live my dream and play in the NFL, but I'm making like six hundred grand. And hell no. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And then what I, if you end up end up you know being a guy who is not who's undrafted, not making much money, and you end up being a, a vital player on the team, which happens, which happens a lot. all the time. Yeah. Like it's once yeah, once you make a fifty three, your your minimum should be a million bucks. And I, you know it's funny because obviously six hundred thousand is a lot of money, but when you're paying an agent and you know it's you don't know how long this is going to last and what you're doing to your body and what it does in the future. Right. That's it. Makes there's it so difficult. many factors. Mm-hmm. Exactly, John. There's so many factors in that. It's like right, you got to pay your agent, and then like oh well, if I make six hundred dollars, six hundred thousand dollars, you know I'll be fine. It's like yeah, but you have to imagine you make six hundred thousand dollars. And you you can't live, you know. A lot of these guys haven't they have not came from the best area. Right. You can't live in your same neighborhood, and then now you're more accessible online because just because you're in a you're on an NFL team, people think you're making multi million yeah, yeah. dollars, and you're not. And then people have families they have issues with. Yep. You know, you only get you only getting paid those six months out of the twelve out of the twelve months of the whole year. And so, how many guys know how to actually manage their money? Oh, you need someone to manage your money now. You got to pay somebody else. Right. Does eighteen games have a chance? 18 games have a chance if you are paying more. Okay. More games just means more money. Very last thing, you, one of the things I always like talking about you is the wine. And you are a wine, basically, you went to school and you're, I mean, I, for lack of a better word, a phrase, a wine expert. How did you get so much into that and why do you enjoy that? Um, well, I just, I just always, I just enjoyed it just naturally. It was, you know, it's an acquired case, of course. Um, but then, when I was in Green Bay, you know, Charles Woodson had his own winery at the time. He still does Charles Woodson wines. And he would always take the defensive backs out to dinner, and he would order, you know, food. He would order wine and kind of introduce to the whole wine lifestyle. So I just eventually just started enjoying it on myself. myself. Um, and I would have it, you know, watching film. I would have it, you know, at dinner all the time. And then I, I wanted to know more and more about it. So I ended up. I mean, I watched that documentary called Psalm on Netflix by Jason Wise. He directed it about guys taking the master sommelier right. uh, exam. And then ended up taking my wife uh, to Napa. And I just, you know, thought that place was amazing. And then I ended up going to uh, Peter Neptune. He's a master sommelier. He has a school out here um, called Peter Neptune Wine School, LCA Wine. And I got a WSET certification level two and and this is just like education i'm not a sommelier right yet um and then i started taking business classes at uh sonoma state um wine business institute and so now uh i am a personal wine concierge so if you're looking for a particular wine or a rare wine or a fine wine or a high-end wine like people can hit me up and i can get it for them Wow. So that's why I created I created my hand I have a new handle now called NFL Wine Guy. It's on Twitter I saw and Instagram. That. And I just yeah, and I just go there, I just talk about wine. Just because I felt like if I keep talking about wine on my main page, it's kinda of oversaturated and most people don't care. Right. They don't, they're like, Okay, we want to hear football and stuff like that. <laughs> we don't really care about this wine, so I moved it over to a different handle. What do you want to do with it? Where do you want to go with this? <laughs> Well, so I, I love the fact that I can be a personal buyer to like whoever celebrities, athletes, whoever stars don't matter that I can go ahead and get the wine to you. But I'm also um, 
working on my own private label, um, which hopefully I can, it'll be, it'll get going in the winter. We'll see. That would be awesome. That's, you know, it, it's funny. Cause like you, I think one of the things that I've always enjoyed with you is that I think you seem to like the discovery part and the, of whether it's the wine or like the deep insight into wine, wanting to know more about that, wanting to know more about why players yeah, became like good. And I think it all ties together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then last but not least, I just started it's called uh, Black Men Football Academy. What happened was the past two years, got, our agents been calling me to like train their defensive backs for the combine, and so I said, "You, I never advertised it, but they knew me around the area. Right. So I trained guys the past two years, so now guys want me to train more. So I kind of created this academy where I, I privately train defensive backs out here in California from high school all the way to the pros. Got a lot going on, Will. And that's like yeah, I said. I like it. I have to though. Just imagine, you know, I know you got to go, but just imagine I did some. I did one thing from six years old to thirty-four. My whole life was planned yeah. out, and scheduled for me. So I was like, man, you know, now what do I got to do since I'm not technically not playing anymore? But you have a plan, and you're 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 building on things. And that's why I say, I mean, I could still see you in a front office because, like I said, it's not. And I think what makes a team successful again is not the X's and O's part. It's the belief in players and knowing how to get the right players and how to create the right atmosphere in a building. Right. I think that's as important it's as anything. Culture. Yeah. It's the culture. It's like, you know, like look at Cleveland right now on paper, the Cleveland Browns look awesome, right? They look great. But how is the culture? Nobody knows. And that's good. We're going to find out the culture. Right. Let's say Cleveland, let's say Cleveland drops three games in a row. What's going to happen? That's when you find out. That's when you find out. Well, Will, listen, I enjoyed catching up with you. And like I said, I've always enjoyed hearing your insights on, on football and wine. So I appreciate you coming on here. Thanks for joining me. Anytime, John. Thank you. Coming up, Rick Snyder joins me to discuss the latest in the Redskins stadium plans and also to discuss the 20-year anniversary of Dan Snyder's ownership of the Redskins. So now I'm going to bring on board a guy that I have known for almost forever in this business. At least it feels that way. One of my mentors, one of my best friends, a guy whose advice I lean on and someone who's helped direct me in my career, I feel, whether or not with his words or his actions. And I've always appreciated that. So I'm happy to have on Rick Snyder. Rick, thank you for joining me. I hope you wrote that down for my funeral one day. That would be great. Don't be that far away. Listen, there was a time once upon a time we thought it was a couple days away. So fortunately, that wasn't the case with the, after the heart attack. So I'm glad you're still here and kicking and still writing, still doing a lot of things for 106.7, for you know Washington Post Express, and and you have your podcast too. So the season of seasons of discontent. So still a busy man. And and here's the important thing here: if you want to combine asking someone Redskins questions while also taking a tour in Washington D.C., Rick is your guy. So. With, You'd be surprised how many Redskins fans go on tour with me. Well, I'm surprised. I think especially overseas ones. Who come here. Did you do a lot of things no, last I, fall I, on Sundays? I'm from Europe. Yeah. So, well, uh, yeah. But no, I have a lot of Redskins fans come in for a game on Sunday. They go on tour with me on Saturday. So uh, I'm a licensed Washington tour guide. Feel free to reach out. Get a two for one. Rick's knowledge on Redskins go. and on history. Yeah. So and then we go to lunch and talk Redskins. <laughs> 
There you go. Well, what I the, there's a couple of main things I want to talk to you about, and I want to start with you had a recent column on the Hall of Fame is considering expanding its um, nominees, or not even nominees, the, the the enshriners this year to 20 instead of the typical five. So you and I think they're they're well, they are going to decide that on August 2nd. You had a column recently that you felt like it's obviously you know I think your first line was you know for Jacoby. Larry Brown, B. Mitch, get your gold jackets ready. Do you think they that this? What kind of chance do you really think that this gives those three to get in the Hall of Fame? Well, two of them will come under the seniors committee, which is right. expected to pick ten players. Right. That's the big thing. They're trying to catch up on a lot of guys. Right. I think Jacoby should be a lock because he almost made it as an active player a few years ago. Um, I think you have twenty-five years or twenty years after your career ends to the end. B. Mitch would have to go, still go under B. Mitch still has, right, he still has some time. But um, Larry Brown has kind of been forgotten, uh, but he was an NFL MVP. He was very good for a few years, and I saw him recently, the the ex-mayor of Washington tried to kick off another push before we even knew about this expanded one. Uh, And, you know, Larry was as good as it could be, but they always said, we only played eight years, it wasn't enough. But they have since taken people like Floyd Little with similar time frames. Uh, and Terrell Davis. Now, Terrell Davis was better than Larry Brown. But, you know, that, that one knock takes it out. And if you're going to go 10 guys deep on the seniors, I really think Larry Brown should be considered because he was an NFL MVP. You know, and it's funny because I think, I think Jacoby, I thought Jacoby was going to get in a couple years ago. It just felt like it was time. And it's funny, when I look at some people who are on the committee and when they start going over their list of guys they feel should be a part of this 10, I don't know that anybody's putting any of those any of those Redskins players on there. I would have thought that Jacoby would have gotten more mention, but then you get guys like Ken Anderson and Ken Riley from the Bengals back in the seventies, and you know those guys. You can look at. You know, I think they're going to be if, for that fan base. That's their equivalent of guys like Larry Brown, Joe Jacoby. You know, Tiki Barber. Should he be in there? I, I don't even know if he's on the seniors yet. I don't think he'd be on the seniors. Um, you know, Drew Pearson, should he be on there? So it's where it gets a little bit crowded. So if you, I mean, do you think it almost like it gets almost too crowded for these guys? Or do you think that, especially, I think Jacoby, would you agree, would have the best shot of these two? Yeah, Jacoby by far. I mean, Larry's still a little bit of a long shot, I think. Um, but I bring him up because it's, it's now or never, as far as that goes. What do you Jacoby, think? Jacoby, why not? Yeah. What do you think people miss on Larry Brown? You know, part of it is he played 14-game schedules. So he had a couple of, you know, near 900-yard seasons that today would be 1,000. And everybody seems to think 1,000 is a magic number. Um, you know, and he was, the team wasn't, you know, the team was okay, and they went to one Super Bowl with him. Um, but I just think he's kind of faded in the past. There's plenty of players like this that are very, very good that maybe just don't quite make the cut. And after time, it fades in the memory. And I don't know, I have to look and see who's on the seniors committee for this, because they can really change things, too. It's not the same guys, but sure. the active ones. Right. And, you know, that, that makes a big difference. Uh, so I think, I think Larry has a shot, you know, and I think B. Mitch should have a shot, but he's got to go under the normal five guys thing for active. Yeah, he does. And I'm not sure this is a year for him, but B. Mitch retired number two in career total yards behind Jerry Rice. I mean, what? You know, and they have started looking at special teamers a little more at the Hall of Fame, so maybe it's time he gets to look. But probably Beamich is a few more years away. But you need a champion in that room to really right. work it. That's the key to all the Hall of Famers. Um, you know, Larry Michael is now the one, the voice of the Redskins. He's the voter. 
I, I don't know. B. Mitch is a tough one, but I thought the, the Redskins have never replaced B. Mitch, in my opinion, as a returner. You know, it's funny with B. Mitch because I always felt, I remember even at the time writing this, that to replace him, you needed like four or five guys because of all that he did was the return game, it were coverage, it was um, third down, you know, he could play as a third down back, he could, you know, he could serve as an every down back if you needed him to. They, you needed multiple guys to replace him, but you're right. I mean, as a returner, you, they haven't had a guy who has been as consistent as he was back in the day. Yeah, he could tilt the field, and then he could taunt the other team to a 15-yard penalty, you know, because he would talk so much crazy as a flight <laughs> swing at him. Uh, but they let him go so they could sign Deion Sanders, yeah. who stayed one year. You know, that was, a, that was one of the many miscues of Dan Snyder and Vinny Serrano. Yes, it was, and that. But but I do remember that you know B. Mitch was was great. I always enjoyed dealing with him too because I felt like he and I also liked his attitude too because I remember talking to him one day about this. Like, you know, he said that when he got drafted, he was a fifth round pick. But when he got drafted, he didn't view it as he had arrived. He is he viewed it as he had just begun. And and when you get guys like that, I think there's a it kind of spills over into other areas of your team. Well, I always said guys like B. Mitch just don't win Super Bowls for you. They're guys who conquer small countries for you. I mean, they're a warrior. <laughs> They'll go in there and do whatever. Uh, and I always liked that about Brian. I mean, he's still that way, really. Yeah. Uh, even today, if you meet him, I think if you if you wanted to look for a fight, you could go find B. Mitch. He'd probably oblige you. Well, listen, I want B. Mitch. If I'm in an you know in any sort of dark alley or whatever, I want yeah. B. Mitch not just behind me. I want him in front of me, so I'm not because nothing's going to happen to me then. I know that with Jacoby on him. Do you think that – I know you're right. It's a different committee that's going to look at this than what for the other five. Do you wonder if maybe some of that momentum he had a couple of years ago has fallen off and that they're going to try and correct a lot of other wrongs before they get to him? Uh, I, you know, after this year, they go back to the normal one right. or two guys. This is your one chance because it's the NFL's 100-season thing. Um, I think that the recent part, I think, gives him a little more momentum because he's been in the public eye a little more that way. I mean, he was a great left tackle, yeah. and he played a few other years around the line. This was an undrafted player who has three Super Bowl rings. I mean, when you look at all the intangibles, he makes them. It's a little hard for linemen at times, but three Super Bowl rings should make the difference. Well, and also, I think when you talk to the guys here, I mean, you've been around these guys, and you were around that group. They would point to Jacoby as the guy on that line who was, who was the guy. I know as good as Russ Grimm was, it's, I mean, do you agree with that? That seems to be the word that I've gotten from guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I did cover the end of that run, and um, and they all, you know, Jacoby treated me terribly. <laughs> I, he was not an easy guy to talk to in the locker room at all. But, uh, you know, and I loved Grimm. He was a lot easier. Yes. And Grimm was a great player, and he's in the Hall of Fame. But Jacoby was the best player on that line. Yeah, and, and, and he had to go against, it was the rise of the Lawrence Taylor era and all that. So... That's why I, I was. That's why I thought two years ago. I just was assuming that he was going to get in, but I've never been in that room. I don't know how those conversations go. I know guys put a lot of time into this, and they're not getting paid for it, so it's all extra. But um, I did think he was going to get in two years ago. Um, I want to switch gears here a little bit, and another name in the news recently has been Jack Evans from the D.C. City Council. You have been all over the Redskins Stadium and where the new site might be and all that. Just to catch people up, um, well, catch us up on Jack Evans. There's a lot that's going on with him, and he basically was stripped of his chairmanship. Um, what Catch us up on what is the status with him. Well, the key is the FBI raided his home looking for evidence. That's not a good thing. No. You know, he is one of the uh, longtime D.C. commissioners. 
uh, and they found that he had an inappropriate relationship with some people doing contracts with the city. And so he's been stripped of a couple committees. And, and quite frankly, I don't see how he stays as a commissioner in the city eventually. But, you know, the, the head of the commission has said, listen, you got to let due process work out. We can't strip a guy completely and, you know, until the law says something. So that's going to take a little while. But in the meantime, Jack Emmons has always been one of the real big pro sports guys. Right. And he was going to be the key for the Redskins to come back to D.C. at the RFK site if it's possible, because the other members are very ambivalent about this. And I think they're wrong on this one point. The commissioners look at it as, why are we going to spend money for all this? I don't think you'll find two finer examples in America of what stadiums do for cities than Cap One Arena and the Nats Park. They were both horrible areas in town, and they have been completely revived. The stats have shown it. I mean, there's no comparison to those two areas since those venues have been built. And so they want to do that with RFK on the uh, east end of town, which is also a neglected portal of the city. And the city residents are a little against it. They want all the things, too. But we know that the stadium could make a difference. Now, who's going to pay for it? I don't know. D.C.'s also approved sports gambling. What, you can make money off sports, but you don't want to put money in it. But Evans was going to be the key guy. He's no longer going to be the key guy, no matter what happens to him personally. So at most, maybe you get the mayor to champion the cause, but you're going to also need Vincent Gray, who's attended many a Redskin game in Dan Snyder's box. But it's hard. So now, I mean, a year ago, well, let's say two years ago, I would have said maybe Virginia was the leader at that Loudoun County mm-hmm. site. But Virginia has dropped out because Amazon got all that money to come, and that stadium kind of money. So they're out of it. Um, Maryland has said they're backed off, but I don't really believe it. But not the site near the Wilson Bridge. But maybe, maybe the FedEx Field one may end up being something. Maybe they build another one. I don't know. I, right now, and now DC is well, DC was very close to getting federal approval to gain to give the land at RFK to the city. And Donald Trump's um, standoff of Congress, which caused the, you know, the shutdown of the right. government, killed that bill. And, man, they were so close to it. And that would have made the Redskins come to D.C. Now they still need that land. Trump's giving D.C. no favors. Um, I don't see that either. I see, I see no bidders right now, which is just shocking. So, to all of this. so what do you, do you do you think in their best interest is just to wait a couple of years to see if things change? I think they have to. And part of it is, what is your leadership in each one? You know, who's governor, who's mayor, that right. kind of thing. But they have a couple more years to burn. Their lease doesn't end until 2027. You can build a stadium in three years. But, um, you know, they need to get this done in the next couple of years. But I think they're going to have to because right now there's no one there's no one at the table with them. And I'm, I'm finding that from two years ago, shocking that nobody wants the Redskins. Now, it's expensive. And, you know, I, as a Maryland taxpayer, for instance, don't want to see us give a billionaire another billion dollars for a stadium that's going to be so expensive ticket-wise that I personally would not be able to attend if I weren't covering a team. So why would I want to invest in something I can't do as a taxpayer? Um, Snyder's going to have to step up his money here. There's no doubt he has lost a lot of leverage, which means he's lost a lot of money. Do you think that a lot of this is because because of his personality that people don't like him? Do you think some of this is just that people are tired of giving sport or tax breaks to team owners? Well, I think it's partly the team hasn't been very good more than anything. I mean, the Snyder and his thing, I don't know. I don't think that matters too much. 
But the team hasn't been great, and attendance has just fallen through the floor. I mean, I think last year they claimed 61,000 average. <laughs> I'd say probably more like 40 yeah. uh, as an overall. Um, you know, so there's not this burning desire. We're seeing a new generation of fans that don't go to games. Um, they watch them more, but on TV and such. So not everybody's desperate for it. There's so many other entertainment options. I mean, the world is changing, and this is a bad time for the Redskins to be coming into this, quite frankly. The timing's terrible. Speaking of Dan Snyder, you it's been 20 years now since he's owned this team, and I think the anniversary was, what, like a month or a month and a half ago or something like that. You were covered the sale as well as anybody back in the day. What has, has his ownership unfolded the way maybe you thought it might? No, I mean, nobody saw this train wreck coming, to be honest. It's, you know, he, he's a, you know, he was a fan, he was interested. But like a lot of owners I've seen buy NFL teams, they think they know everything. And sports should be easy. I mean, they know everything because they're rich and billionaires, so they must be smart. Right. But it's like Dow Chemical buys, somebody buys Dow Chemical and says, well, I took high school chemistry, I know how to fix chemicals. It, it's a different world, and he didn't respect that for a very long time to let football people run the show. He dabbled in it too much. I didn't see that quite coming, I, you know, who did? But his, you know, his ownership has just been, frankly, poor. And the fans are tired of it. And, you know, he's, he's just going to be, you know, Redskins have had this kind of before. It's a lot like George Preston Marshall, except he won two championships early in his days and then went about 30 years rowing in a team. Uh, there's a lot of that in there. And comparison to Cook, you know, is a hard one. Uh, Cook let people do what they did, and if he didn't do it, he'd fire you. But Snyder's just, a, he's just not been a good owner. You, because you obviously were around Jack Ken Cook, too. What, what do you remember about him? Why, did he, why was he a good owner? I think he let people make their decisions. Now, he was a great one-minute manager, um, and that was a popular term years ago, where you broke down people in the first 30 seconds, but then you, you built them back up. And he was really good at doing that with people. He'd chew them out for something wrong and then say, I know you can do better. I know you will do better. And people would like run out of the room ready to go. <laughs> you know, he was good at that. Um, but he, you know, and most of his employees worked there for a long time. Yes, they did. It just shows you, you know, unlike today where anybody lasts very long. Um, so Cook was, uh, you know, he was, he, he would always tell me, I remember um, Bethard, hired Joe Gibbs, and Cook didn't know who Joe Gibbs was. And then Joe Gibbs was 0-3, and he's threatening to fire Bobby, too. (laughs) And they they managed to have him hold on. He was a little impetuous there, but Bobby calmed him down. There was a time when they called him late at night and said, listen, we want to sign a backup quarterback. It's going to be a million dollars, which was crazy. And he said, if you really think so, go ahead. So he would support them. That guy was Doug Williams. Right. Uh, so he would always support them, but he always warned them, you better be right. I also remember Bobby Mitchell telling me after Cook had died that said that there was a time where Bobby, one of the things Bobby had to do was buy hot dogs for the, remember they'd have that family picnic at the end of the spring. And he said that one Bobby Mitchell told me is that, that Cook found hot dogs that were like a half cent cheaper per package or something like that than the ones he had found. And so he had to go, then go buy, maybe it was a half cent. Yeah, maybe it was like a half cent or a cent cheaper. So he had to buy those because that's what Cook had found. And, you know, so he clearly had a deep involvement in things as well. Yeah, he, that story I'm sure is true. Yeah. And that would be Cook. And he would, he would even chastise uh, 
the PR people about not using both sides of a piece of paper when they Xerox it, <laughs> stuff like that. I mean, he was he came out to the park quite often. Uh, so he was until his last you know, year or two when his health was going. He was very involved. He knew how to wield power. He knew how to deal with these politicians. And yeah, he had to walk up and down the street four times to build that new stadium. But that was his ego that got in the way a couple yeah. times of it. Um, you know, he didn't really want to deal with Sharon Pratt Kelly. He didn't want to stay in D.C. with her. You know, if Mary Berry had still been mayor, I think it would have been in D.C. Uh, he just didn't want to deal with her. Um, so Cook, Cook was, a, was a dynamo. I mean, definitely one of the most interesting people I ever dealt with. And, man, he could just, he could just run right through you if he wanted to. Yeah, I know. He, it, yeah, by God, um, I mean, you you always had the stories about talking to horses with him too. With with yeah. with with Dan Snyder when he when he was in the process of buying it, what were your impressions of him? Just because you had to deal with him a lot throughout this, what were your impressions of him at, before he bought the team? Well, in the very beginning, he was the junior partner to Milstein, right? And you know, I met Milstein and Snyder the first time at the Washington Times where I worked. And they met with editors, and the editors were falling all over them, going, oh. And, man, I could just see through Milstein right away. You mm-hmm. could see fake. And it took me, uh, with my partner Dave Elfin at the time, it took us less than a day to figure out there was big opposition to their plan to mm-hmm. buy the team. And that story went for several months. It was the toughest story of my 40-plus year career mm-hmm. because it was like you were in a circle of people, everybody yelling at you that the other guy is lying, but they're telling the truth. And that would change on a daily basis as to who was telling the truth. And, you know, Snyder's people even once it, you know, Snyder's great the great move that he made was Milstein finally had to fold. He just didn't want to sell his real estate assets to buy the team. He thought he could leverage it. And the team, the NFL just wouldn't let him do it. And they kept telling him that and he wouldn't do it. Snyder said instantly, I'll take over the bid. The bid is with Washington Sports, not with Milstein. And that's how he got the team. It was a great move on his end. Um, you know, I think he's you know he's very forceful and dynamic. There's no doubt of that. He's a smart guy, and he took it over that way. And you know, I had dealings with him before, and uh, you know they were pretty good. And then my columnist started calling him the boy owner. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Tom Knox did you guys no favor. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I didn't have his ear anymore, but that's okay. You know, the, obviously there's there's always talk, as you and I both know. Every couple of years, there's always talk that Dan has changed. Dan has changed. Have you ever bought that? And do you think that, I mean, and I've seen, there are some things I've seen that are different. Um, do you do you think that it's different enough? Do you think he's changed things enough that it's going to make a difference? Football-wise, I see no indications of that, really. Um, you know, personally, you know, he's 20 years older. Any man's not smarter right. in his 50s and his 30s is an idiot. And he's not an idiot. And, and I always tell people that there's always something good in people. I know they all hate Dan, but. You know, like, for instance, he raises millions of dollars a year for children's hospital and causes like that. I mean, he does a lot of things that they don't get credit for. Um, but he just, he's still, he's still involved in football, you know. I mean, I think Bruce Allen is a great buffer, in a way, between Snyder and the team. You know, he, he gets in the middle of a lot of it. That helps versus the Vinny Serrato era when Dan wanted to do something, and they said, you got it. And, you know, it was down the road disaster. So I think Snyder's gotten a little smarter. He's also gotten a little, a lot smarter about staying out of the public eye and, yeah. and people seeing it for what it is. But you know, his basic strengths, I think, and weaknesses are the same as 20 years ago. Last question, Rick: How do you view this team going into training camp? 
I keep wanting to say seven to nine. I know mm-hmm. you love when I do eight and eight. But it's, uh, <laughs> that I, used I to be know. Rick's tradition, by the way. Every year, I was like, I could count on that. It's like just groundhog sees it, shadow whatever. You know, where Rick makes a prediction, it's going to be eight and eight. I knew that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, every, yeah, it's just kind of, but I haven't been far off. No, you haven't. That's the funny thing is it's been mostly accurate. Yeah, I think seven and nine last year. They finished, not the, they didn't win the seven games I thought they would, but yeah. I, I think, I think this year that. I picked them eight and eight last right? year, by the way. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, you know, the murderous early schedule could really break this team, but if they could emerge from his first five games, you know, at two and three or even, you know, maybe, I mean, who's the quarterback? I think right. this team's got a lot of moving parts again, you know, and now Geis has got an injury that we'll see what happens there. I mean, there's a lot. Everything has to go right for this team to contend, and nothing ever seems to go right for them anymore. So why would it this year? Uh, but they have the potential to make the playoffs as a, a you know, wild-card team. I, I just you, you better hold your breath and hope the injuries don't come again. I would agree with that, and I think that's a good place to end. Rick, thank you very much for joining me. As, I, as I've told everybody listening to this – Rick, you can read Rick on multiple platforms, 106.7, Washington Post Express, and the Seasons of Discontent podcast that Rick has. Again, and if you're interested in a tour of Washington, D.C., Rick is your guy. Rick, thanks a lot for yeah. coming on. All right. Hey, I made the big time. Made your podcast. <laughs> there you go. I got, a, I, got, I got a Coke for you outside when we're done. So thank you very That'd much. That'd be great. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Rick. That's it for now. Thank you to Will Blackman and Rick Snyder for joining me. And also, as always... Thank you for listening.